Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are not silent, but you still speak to us through these holy scriptures and through the work of the Spirit. Open our ears now to hear what you want to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Be seated. I want to preach this morning based on our gospel reading where Jesus in Matthew 13 is telling parables of the kingdom of heaven. That's how Matthew talks about the kingdom of God, but it's the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And um, in, in these sets of parables that he's, that he's sharing here, it's at the end of Matthew 13, part of the point here is the, the great value of the kingdom of God. And uh, you can't determine value based on appearance alone, can you? Um, how many of you watch the Antiques Roadshow? And uh, I don't I haven't watched it in a long time, but I caught an episode this week. And you know that the, the, the high point of that show is when folks bring their object, their treasured possession, <laughs> to somebody to be evaluated. An expert evaluates it and assigns a dollar value to it. So this, this week I saw somebody uh, bring a violin to an Antiques expert. And he said, uh, my father was a building contractor. And he said, and in exchange for, and I couldn't quite hear exactly what the man said because I have children running around the living room. But he said, either in exchange for renovating the house or building the man this house, this man gave him this precious violin. And he went on and he told the expert, this violin comes from the 16th century and it's made by a famous Austrian maker. And uh, you know where this is headed, don't you? (laughs) The man takes a look at this violin and he says, well, I'm glad this has had so much sentimental value to you. You know you're in trouble when they say that. But this was made to look like the violin you thought it was. It was made not in the 16th century by a famous violin maker. It was made in the 19th century and it's a fake and it's worth $500. The string, the bowstring, was worth more than the violin. So, obviously, this man was crestfallen and disappointed. Then there was a little girl later in the episode. She comes and she brings this little statue. We've been using this statue as a doorstop in our house. My mother bought it at a garage sale. And we just wondered if it's worth anything. Of course, it was worth a great deal. It was made by a 19th century French sculpture. Sculptor. And, uh, and it was, he was a famous sculptor, and it was worth, I don't know, it was close to $10,000 or so. But they had been using it as a doorstop. So the point is, you can't determine value always based on what things look like. And Jesus is teaching in these parables, the, the people who are listening to him, the, the crowd, and then later on in the, in the chapter, it's just his disciples, to kind of change their set of expectations about what the kingdom of God is about. Or how it's going to appear when it comes. In Jesus' day, people looked at his ministry, especially the religious leaders, and they said, this is just too small and it's too insignificant to be the kingdom of God. Um, Their expectation was that when the kingdom of God came, everybody was going to know it. It would be unmistakable. Israel's enemies would be defeated. Uh, God would set his Messiah, his king, on the throne in, in, in Jerusalem. And this Messiah would reign over the entire world. It would be a time of absolute peace and justice. 
But that hadn't happened yet with the coming of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is teaching here what he calls elsewhere in the Gospel of Mark, the mystery of the kingdom. The mystery of the kingdom. And in the Bible, when you come across that word mystery, um, it doesn't mean esoteric. It doesn't mean uh, mysterious or mystical. Mystery in the Bible has a, has a specific meaning. It means something that has been hidden in the past that God is up to. But God is unveiling it now. God has had plans and purposes in mind. He's been working towards those plans and purposes, but it hasn't been clear yet. And now Jesus is saying, I'm here to reveal a mystery of the kingdom for those who have ears to hear. For those who are willing to draw close to me, I'll explain to you the kingdom. But he told these parables. And the mystery was that God's kingdom has come in Jesus Christ. There was evidence of that. But it hadn't come fully. A new understanding of the kingdom that God is ushering in the kingdom in Jesus Christ. And then there's going to be an age where it comes fully and completely at the end of time. That was what the mystery was about. And that's part of what I think Jesus means at the end of our passage with this kind of mysterious verse here. When he talks about the scribe who's been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house. He's saying this to his disciples specifically. He wants them to be trained in this understanding. Who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Jesus is doing something new, but it's connected to what was old. It's connected to some of those Old Testament prophecies, but it's coming about in a new and unexpected way. And again, part of it had to do with the size of his movement and, and, and the scope of it, the scale of it, the visibility of it. And people said this is just too small to be really that significant. And that's when Jesus uses those two parables, the parable of the mustard seed. And the parable of eleven to teach a point. And uh, he says, even though it looks insignificant, it's beginning insignificant, one day it's going to be magnificent. It's going to be unmistakable. It begins like a grain of a mustard seed. It begins like a tiny bit of leaven in bread. The mustard seed was known in Jesus' day as the smallest of seeds. And of course, you know, in leaven, you use yeast to leaven a bread. It only takes a little pinch to do the job. So you think about Jesus's ministry, how he started his movement with just 12 men, small movement, 12 ordinary men from Galilee. Uh, these these were not the Ivy League men. These were not guys from Princeton. And uh, or Harvard or Yale. Uh, these were guys from the local community college or trade school. How are these guys going to change the world? How are these guys going to make a great impact in the world? And yet they did. They did. They changed the world. And today there are over, last time I looked, over two billion people who call themselves Christians. But it started with Jesus and these 12 men. A little mustard seed. And then Jesus compares the, the mustard seed. Well, he says that it, it's going to become like a tree that will provide a nest for all sorts of birds. What's he mean there? He's drawing on an Old Testament symbol that was very common. It's in the book of Ezekiel. It's in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, Ezekiel 21. They use that image. That very image of a tree that grows and expands and that provides shelter for birds of all kinds. And that was a metaphor of a great kingdom that would grow and include all people from all nations. And Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. 
in my movement, in my kingdom. It's going to be global. It's going to be magnificent. And people from all nations will be part of this. The seed will become a tree. Inherent in a seed is the power of growth. And that's what Jesus is saying. This is going to grow. The tiny pinch of leaven is going to work its way into three measures of flour. That's about 50 pounds of flour. And that will feed over 100 people. 50 pounds of flour will make bread, I read, for about 100 people or so. And so that's the point that Jesus made. It looks tiny now, but there's power here. This is going to grow. It's inevitable because it's the kingdom of God. And we see that. We see, if we just think historically, how the leaven of the kingdom, the leaven of the gospel of Jesus Christ, has changed people's lives, has changed cultures, has changed families, has changed the trajectory of history for over 2,000 years. Well, just think about it. In the name of Jesus, people have started hospitals and hospice care. That started with a Christian lady who was influenced by C.S. Lewis. Did you know that? The hospice movement. In the name of Christ, people have started hospitals and hospice care. They founded universities and orphanages. People have written symphonies to the glory of Christ. They've written literature. They've raised families to the glory of Christ. They've built churches and businesses for His glory. So that leaven that began 2,000 years ago has spread and has grown. And the point here that I think Jesus is making to His disciples then and to us now is that oftentimes when we look at really what people are excited about in the world, and people point to places where the action is really happening. What's really significant is what's happening in Washington or Silicon Valley or London or Hollywood. That's, that's where the action is. That's what gets people excited. That's what the news is all about. And not too many people care about the church or the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying God is at work in the world God is growing his kingdom. This is what is really significant. And one day, one day, everybody's going to recognize it. The kingdom of God is going to come fully. God is going to reign completely. It's going to be visible to all. So what we're doing for the kingdom of God, it may not feel like much compared to what else is happening in the world, but it's of great significance. God is using our contributions to build his kingdom. Nothing is insignificant. Nothing is wasted in God's kingdom work as we work for Him. So some people said, it's just not big enough. It's not significant enough. Other people looked at the ministry of Jesus, well, really probably the same group of people, and they said, it's not pure enough. Look who is part of this kingdom movement. Look at the sinners, the tax collectors that Jesus is including in this movement. That was a criticism of Jesus' movement. He eats with tax collectors. He eats with sinners. So in the parable of the net, I'm going to go to the parable of the net, and I'll come back to the, par the parable of the pearl of great price. But I want to talk about that, because what Jesus is doing, against that criticism, okay, he's, he's got too many sinners, this is obviously not the kingdom of God, is he tells this parable of the net, or the dragnet. And the point that Jesus makes there is that this kingdom message, this invitation to the kingdom goes out to all people. I'm going to cast a wide as net as possible and bring everybody in who will respond. And then in the end, 
God will sort it out. There is a day of judgment coming. There is a day of separation between the saint and the sinners. But we're not there yet. And he uses that imagery that we talked about last week. The, the imagery of, of hell, of, of separation from God to convey how, how terrible that is for people to be separated from God. But he says we're not there yet. This is the day, this is the time, this is the era of the, the net, the dragnet. And the gospel message goes out to everyone. There were people in Jesus' day who wanted to make that separation here and now. They wanted to divide people up into sinners and saints. There was a movement, for example, some of you have studied this, so you know this, some of you have heard this, the Essene movement. The Essenes were a group around Jesus' time who looked at the corruption of institutional Judaism. They looked at the corruption of the temple. They looked at the corruption of the priesthood. And they said, God's not at work there. We're going to go out to the desert and build our own community. And we're going to become a pure community. And if people want to join us, then they're going to have to follow our rules. And we're not even going to let them in for a year or so until we see that they're able to keep up with our standards. Uh, somebody called them the spiritual special forces of Jesus' day. The Navy SEALs of Jewish legalism. That was, that was the Essenes. And uh, they thought by doing that, that God would be so pleased that he would go ahead and bring in the end time. And he would bring in the Messiah and they would get the kingdom going that way. And so when people like that saw what Jesus was doing, fellowshipping with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, calling everybody into the kingdom who will repent... They said, no, that, that can't be it. But Jesus said, no, there is coming a day of separation. But right now, the gospel goes out to everyone. Right now, God is compassionately reaching out to every person who will hear the call of the kingdom and repent. And he'll bring them in. Now is the day of the net. Um, and that's a lesson for us, isn't it? We don't get to pick and choose who we think will be a good candidate to become a Christian. Sometimes we do that, maybe not intentionally, but we thought that this person will never get it. They'll never understand the gospel message or this person is way too far gone. Or we don't really want those kinds of people part of our church because that won't represent very well to the community. So we're going to not really bother with that group. No, Jesus is saying you cast as wide a net as possible. It's not our call to try to build a perfectly pure spiritual community. That leads to legalism. Our call is to cast a wide net. To share the gospel with everybody from every group. And then we trust God to do his work of transformation in their life. And obviously we leave the ultimate, we leave the ultimate judgment of a person standing with God, the ultimate judge. But we cast a wide net. The third thing, the third parable, I'm not going in order here, but I wanted to end on this because I love these two parables about that illustrate the great value of the kingdom of heaven. The great value of being part of the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be in the kingdom of heaven? What does that mean to be in the kingdom of God? It means the kingdom of God is the reign and the rule of God. It's not a place, it's a state. It's to live under the authority of God, to know this king as your heavenly father, to know him as a God who loves you and watches over you and gives you hope now and for life eternal. 
That's part of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. And in these parables, Jesus is saying nothing is more valuable than that, than being in the kingdom of God. And so he tells these two parables to teach us that point. Um, The first is the parable of the man in the field. Or the man who purchases the field. And he comes across this, this, this treasure. And immediately he recognizes that that treasure is more valuable than anything else he possesses. And so, in order to get the treasure, he gets the field. In order to have the treasure for his possession, he has to first possess the field. And he sells everything he has to get the field so he can get the treasure. Because he knows that treasure is of immeasurable value compared to what he already has. And did you notice that Jesus says he goes with joy to sell everything he has to get the field? He doesn't do it grudgingly. He immediately recognizes the value of this. He doesn't have to debate with himself. He doesn't have to ask his wife or his friends, what do you think? You know, we've got the car and we've got the house and I've got this stock here. Do you think it's really worth selling everything? No, he immediately sees. We don't know what was in the treasure box, but you can make up, you can imagine for yourself what might be there. And he says, no, this is worth everything. Right now, I'm going to take it. I'm going to get it. Some people come into the kingdom of God like that. You know, there's some people in a certain stage of life, in a certain place of life, they hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they immediately say, this is what I have been looking for my whole life. This is what I need. This answers the longing of my heart here and now, and I'm going to take it. When I hear John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There are certain people when they hear something like that, they say, yes, that's for me right now. It's the most precious thing to know that God loves me and he's proved that love in giving me his son, Jesus Christ. There are people when they hear the message of the forgiveness of sins right then and there, they say, yes, I'm going to trust in this message. There are people who, when they hear a message about how God, who created us in his image, can restore the dignity of that image and give us hope and meaning and purpose, they immediately receive it. And they say, this is, this is the most valuable thing I've ever heard, the most important thing I've ever heard. And they do it with joy. And then there are people like this merchant who are on a search. And they search for quite a time. And, and he's searching for something valuable. I, I admire people like this who want to know the significance and the meaning of this life. And they're on a search for truth. And they're on a search for beauty and ultimate beauty and ultimate goodness. And so they, they look at various religions. They read philosophy. They, they seek meaning in art and literature and music. And then eventually they come to the person of Jesus Christ. And they say, yeah, this, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been searching for my whole life. And nothing compares to this. And, um, and they joyfully receive Jesus. So whether it's instantaneous or whether it's at the end of a long search, Jesus says, when you find the kingdom of God, when you understand what it's all about, if you really understand the kingdom of God, you know it's the most valuable thing. It's the most precious thing. You know, I heard somebody describe life is, is like a dot. Our life is like a dot on a line that is eternal, that is infinite. 
What's the significance of the dot? What's the meaning of this short and brief life? What's the ultimate meaning? Jesus says, when you find the kingdom of God, you found that treasure. And so it's worth everything. It's precious. And, and I think one of the things as I thought about this and this story of the man who purchased the field that talks about his joy. Sometimes we who've been in the faith for a long time, we lose that joy. We lose that sense that this is a great treasure. We've had the treasure in our house for a long time. We've been drawing on the treasure for a long time. And we need to look back and remember that time when we finally found it. And we understood what Jesus really did for us and who Jesus is and how precious this is and what it means to have this hope and what it means to have the forgiveness of our sins and what it means to have a sense of purpose that that you're not going to find through money and fame and status and significance and everything else that the world is chasing. It's important for us to go back and remember this joy and to thank God for this treasure that he's given to us in Jesus Christ. And if we don't have that joy, when we think about Jesus, we need to ask him to give it to us again. God, restore the joy of my salvation. God, help me to see the treasure that you've given to me in Jesus Christ. If we've never had it, Jesus is saying, whatever it costs you, your pride, your prestige, your status, whatever it costs you, your priorities, it's worth giving up to know that you're in the kingdom of God. The great value of the kingdom. So remember the joy of the kingdom. Friends, God is at work growing His kingdom today. What we're doing now is contributing to that growth. The seed will accomplish its purpose. The net is being cast out and we're part of casting that net. We're fishermen and we offer this to everybody who comes into these doors and outside of these doors through the power of the Spirit. And the kingdom is going to come, Jesus says. Let's believe the promises of Christ here. Let's believe the teaching of Jesus. The kingdom is going to come finally and fully because it's God's kingdom and His promise. Amen.